I'm Will Fulton, and this is Thrillist Explorer. So anytime you see the moon, if you draw a line from one like tip of the crescent yeah. through the other tip of the crescent okay. down to the horizon, no matter where you are in the northern hemisphere, no matter where the moon is in the sky, whether it's day or night, where that line intersects the horizon is due south. Joshua Foer is one of the founders of Atlas Obscura. So if you just follow that line straight down to the horizon, that's south over there. So we're about to be kind of like headed south. Yeah, you'll never look at the moon the same way. That's wild. I'll throw away my GPS. Right. Who needs it? <laughs> Atlas Obscura is a travel company. Part editorial endeavor, part user-generated platform. They have IRL guided trips around the world, books, and yes, a podcast. They excel at making sure you never look at the world around you in the same way ever again. Or in the case of the moon, even things orbiting the world. It was originally like a folder of places in a desk drawer. We launched it as a website where anybody could share their knowledge of hidden wonders around them. Once we were very clear on what our mission was, which is to inspire a sense of wonder about this incredible world we all share, then it became clear that there were so many different things that we could and should do to realize that mission. And we started doing you know, real-world experiences in, in different cities all over the country where, where we had community members. We started doing, oh shit, I gotta get off here. Yeah. Oh god. Oh god. It's okay. We're gonna test this car. Oh god. Okay. <laughs> that was very skillful. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, doing... I don't know if skillful is the right word. I, no, I'm serious. Uh, uh, yeah. Whew. Okay, so where were we? <laughs> We just went through four lanes of traffic and <laughs> yeah. just missed three cars. Yeah, my pulse is going. <laughs> so why was I riding shotgun in the Land Rover on the Jersey Turnpike on a surprisingly warm afternoon in mid-November? Well, we were en route to a defunct fluorescent zinc mine in the middle of the Garden State. We got here by test driving Atlas Obscura's new app which aims to make discovering cool stuff around you, wherever you are, much easier. And on our side, Thrillist has long believed that you don't need to go halfway around the world to find experiences worth having, and that quote-unquote travel can happen in your own proverbial backyard. This is a sentiment the team at Atlas definitely agrees with. To my mind, travel media has been like fairly broken for a really long time. I'm Dylan Thuris, and I am the co-founder and creative director at Atlas Obscura. It has this tendency, like, like media in general, to kind of fall into line telling the same stories over and over again. Whether it's something as kind of classic as, you know, romantic Paris Eiffel Tower, or something a little newer like Tulum, you know, like, ah, that's the spot. You got That's where all the cool kids are hanging out. And it, the funny thing is, is that when that happens, often the result is not a very good experience for the traveler or the place, right? The place gets kind of overloaded, too many people show up, everyone's chasing the same imagined experience, which then gets farther and farther away from the real experience. 
The whole kind of idea of Atlas Obscura is if you can kind of spread out that impact and then also sort of point out that you don't actually even need to get on a plane to do it, if you're open to kind of creating new myths, new ideas about something that's an hour away from you but is still really interesting, that real experience is a really good travel experience. And that's like what we're always chasing and what we're trying to give to people. The first stop we found on the Atlas app was a diner on the side of a highway in Jersey City which was also an exhibition at the 1939 World's Fair. The diner of the future was round, compact, and glistening. One employee was able to take orders, fill drinks, and cook the customer's orders without having to take more than a few steps. It was an early example of modern fast food. Right, this predates yeah. McDonald's. Yeah. Wow, okay. I wonder what they were thinking. Like, like the, the diner of the future of 1939, is this how they thought we were going to be eating in 2020? I guess, but we kind of are in a lot of yeah, ways. I are. mean, look, at, right. look at fast food restaurants. White Mana does look like an aluminum UFO being partially swallowed by a brick building. And inside, it smells like frying onions and, at this time of day, really strong coffee. Even now, people are still milling around inside looking to grab a burger. Uh, I've been killing it for years. Yeah? I used to work in Jersey years ago. And you go over on the fast train yeah. to the city and beat around, and you'd be like, two in the morning, where do you eat? Come here. So when this guy, a local tow truck driver, learned about what we were doing, going around the state, finding odd points of interest, he got really into it. We're doing story on it. The abandoned turnpike in Pennsylvania. Coal mine caught fire and has to get yeah. turned out. You know what I'd like to go see? Some stuff that Tesla did. Like where? Like Nick, well, Nicola Tesla. On Long Island, and one employee just was a tower. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. I don't know if that still exists. Have you, have you ever been out to Montauk? I've never been out to Montauk. Fort Hero. Look that up. Wait, what is it? Fort Hero. Oh, they yeah. actually had batteries of 16-inch guns. And that's the biggest that went on a battleship. Do you, know, do you know about Atlas Obscura? Huh? Do you know about Atlas Obscura? It's a website. It's just like all no. stuff like that. You can check it out. You might like it. Okay, so what was amazing in there, the driver. Yeah. He had all of those places that he really loved that he was just like firing off and they were all in the Atlas Obscura database. So that was that, really cool. Like is, like he'd never heard of Atlas Obscura, right? Yeah. And ultimately what Atlas Obscura is trying to do is give people the tools to live a life of curiosity and one that is seeking out wonder and like, obviously, that guy does a fair amount of that on his own he without does, Atlas. He Obscura. does. I know. I, I I wish he would have been a little bit more excited when he heard that there was like a whole website, an app dedicated to the, this pursuit. I'm just upset that I didn't try to pitch Thrillist to him. Like, and hey, if you want somewhere to eat on the road, you know. <laughs> so now we're on to the next stop in Montclair, New Jersey, to look at a. House. That's a good looking house. It's very. I like wouldn't notice anything. It's complete. So it's it's in the middle of these like older looking Victorian houses, right? And it's a little boxy and a little prefab. Um, I, I would hate to live in a house that people drive by and are like, "Oh, that's not as ugly as I thought it was gonna be." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you were just driving by this house, gray, boxy, two stories, and looking just slightly out of place. You might do a double take and then just forget about it. 
You wouldn't know it was a house made totally out of concrete, with each level poured into a giant mold, including features like the stairs and the fireplace. It was a failed experiment in futuristic architecture by New Jersey's own Thomas Edison. Do you think people ever knock on the doors? And I, I'm not suggesting we do that. That would be weird. But um, uh, I'm sure they must, and I'm sure they hate it. Yeah. Do you want to try? Sure. Okay, let's do it. What's the worst thing that happens? They say no. Right? Yeah. We knocked, a woman answered, and very graciously, she agreed to talk to us. Of course, this has happened before. Yes, people do come here a lot. I have, it's mostly people who are interested in either Thomas Edison or concrete. And as an added bonus, she's an architect herself, so she was able to explain why this model of home building didn't exactly catch on. The way they were planning on building it, some of it failed, not all of their original ideas worked. They thought they're gonna do it with a single pour from the top to the bottom, but they ended up having to do it in different levels because they didn't have the technology to get the concrete vibrating and just sipping through the forms from top to bottom. So not all of it was successful and it ended up being much longer than they thought, but it was interesting to its time. The one thing that we were really fascinated in is the bathtub because we read that it was part of the mold. It was uh, it was not actually built. So it okay. was planned, they thought about it. He also thought about doing a piano. They ended up just doing this fireplace. Okay, and, yeah. And I mean, you can come in and, look and take a peek. It's also the stairs that are oh, wow. crazy idea. Wow, yeah, those are totally concrete stairs. Yeah. So that's a stupid thing to say. Where to concrete also? Yeah, yeah everything is concrete. Wow. Absolutely um, everything. And it does come with some major benefits. What's the best part about <laughs> concrete on? Oh, yeah, it's completely soundproof. We hear absolutely nothing. So it's solid, it feels like a bunker. Um, it's fireproof. Yeah. It's just, it's stable. It feels, it, it feels, I like the feeling of it, absolutely. Like That's cool. I, yeah. Good for yeah. sneaking around too. Yes. Good, good for when like you're a teenager and you're coming. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> And part of what makes travel satisfying is having that context, those stories, that information. Like, it's actually not very interesting to go to a place that you don't know anything about. Like, you kind of come away from it a little bit empty because you're like, well, what was all that? Like, what, I don't, I didn't know how to connect it to bigger stories. And so for, for me, a lot of what Atlas is about is like that storytelling even if it's just like, it's a concrete house in New Jersey. Like, it's not obviously... Amazing, but once you know about it, it becomes amazing. And that's, that's kind of the whole premise. So after we profusely thanked the owner of the concrete house, and I apologize for my dumb jokes, we got back in our car and headed to our most remote destination, the fluorescent zinc mine in Ogdensburg. This is where it started to feel like a bona fide road trip. We like sort of made a itinerary for today. Like, Part of the pleasure of a road trip is there's an opportunity for serendipity. But the other thing I'd say about road tripping and about exploring by car is it gets people out of the core. Travel's really ruining a lot of, a lot of places. I mean, like, you know, Venice obviously is the classic example, but to the extent that you can help facilitate people exploring other areas and can show them the value 
in like not going to the thing that is top on the you know trip advisor list or whatever i think that's really good for everybody and uh, that kind of dispersal of tourism i think is actually going to be a very important trend in the 21st century there is a supply and demand problem and you know to the extent that you can show people that the supply is actually much more expansive than they might have realized and there's a lot of amazing things worth their time and attention that will hopefully help to create a more sustainable kind of travel experience for the world uh, Dinsburg historic mining town okay. cool. I am excited about this you know what else is wild? We made some detours, but how far is this really from Midtown Manhattan where Not we are far. right now? Like Not an far. hour, maybe? Yeah. yeah. And it is completely just in the woods, middle of nowhere. Mining town. Yeah, I would like jump on a subway and be on a subway for an hour to go, like, you know, meet yeah. somebody for lunch or something. Oh, an underground <laughs> mine tour. Did not oh, crap. Exist. I just missed our turn. Okay, this is fixable. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a quick break and find the right turn. But when we get back, we're going inside of an old zinc mine with some surprises that really, honestly, blew my mind. Stick around. This is a geologic hotspot. There's over 400 different minerals here, which is a crazy, crazy number. This is Andy, former science teacher and our personal tour guide of the Sterling Hill Mine Museum. So this was the locker room. They yeah. called it the changing room. We left a couple, the shower area over here. One part of the museum is in a giant warehouse where the miners used to change and shower. There are literally hundreds of rocks and minerals on display. There's an interactive periodic table. There are geodes bigger than my head, a rock from the moon, an asteroid that hit an old Chevy, and the lug nut that came off said Chevy. But none of that could top what happened when Andy led Josh and I into a seemingly normal-looking room filled with seemingly nondescript rocks and turned off the lights. So here, I'm not going to say anything. Just shut the lights off, and then... Whoa! Holy shit! Whoa! So when the lights turned off, a few specially placed black lights switched on. And all around us, these giant rocks were glowing with brilliant shades of violet and neon pink and incandescent blue. It was like a glow-in-the-dark fever dream. You see what this, this, this is our signature color here. Yes. And, uh, the red and green. Red and green, yep. Okay. And why do these particular rocks fluoresce? That little bit of manganese makes fluorescence happen. Here. It can be with other metals in other areas, but with ours, it's, it's the manganese. Andy told us, if you want to learn about fish, for example, you can't just spend all day in the aquarium. You got to get out to the ocean. So we left the confines of the museum and headed underground to see these rocks at their source. So this is one of the older parts of the mine. That's why they were a little tight. Probably the late 1800s. Hmm. So here we are in the wine. There's our lake. That, uh, there's a lake there? Whoa. Whoa. So the mine was actually active until the 1980s, and now it's open for tours, with 
attractions like this 100-foot-deep underground lake. And while there's a lot to learn here, they definitely have fun, too. Well, we do have a diver that comes in once a year to go into that lake for our a haunted Halloween tour. <laughs> and he goes in, and he's oh, is it? <laughs> all scary. Right? But here, they have somebody that kind of joins the tour. Right? It's his wife. Yeah. So he comes out, grabs her, and pulls her under. And they just disappear. Not part of the show. Well, no, I'm sorry. It is part of the show. It is, but you know, oh my God. People are just. That is wild. It's, it is. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. We have had a bunch of movies filmed here. Yeah. And music videos. Do you know Joey Badass? I didn't know him either. Is it like with two dollar signs? I think so. Okay, I think I know what you're talking so about. So he filmed a video here. I play the outfield, that's usually so for anyone interested, the video is actually for the song On My Shit by Phony People, featuring Joey Badass. It uses the glowing rocks built into the mines as the setting for an underground club and also for a handful of kind of idiosyncratic uncut gems references throughout the video. I still really want to show you the whole thing. I'm so excited about this. Well, can we, can we, can we hustle? All right, we'll walk. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you ever just go jogging down here? We have, they do a 5K and it comes through here. No way. That's not true. But they don't stay here the whole time. But, uh, <laughs> And if you've ever seen the Ben Stiller movie Zoolander, you've seen this mine. This is another room with fluorescent. That's fantastic. They painted all the walls, and they were here for like a week or so. I think I'm getting the black lung, Bob. It's not very well ventilated down there. For Christ's sake, Derek, you've been down there one day. So along with being the mine from Zoolander, Sterling Hill still has some of those phosphorescent rocks inside the mine. You can see these glowing giant slabs actually built into the rock walls. Even if they occasionally loan them out to places like the American Museum of Natural History in New York, for example. But what they found out, the architects there said, no, that rock is too heavy. So they had to slice it like a piece of bread. Uh-huh. And they sent the slices back to us. Okay. Uh-huh. Very good, nice gift. <laughs> nice present. So here's the thing about Sterling Hill Mines. I would recommend anyone living within a couple hours to take a day trip here. But I also understand why, if not prompted by a friend who's been there or maybe stumbling upon it on a resource like Atlas Obscura, you'd miss it. As travelers, we too often prioritize the big name attractions. The famous destinations whose core virtues are rooted in that fame and not the quality of the experience itself. People get stuck in this bucket list mindset Travel is not about like ticking every box, but allowing yourself a little bit of the mental freedom to like have serendipitous experiences. And then oftentimes interesting things sort of happen along the way. You know, a lot of these places, they're not super popular. So you get there and you might be able to talk to like the person running the museum or the art project. That's all part of it for me. Just seeing things that you already have seen It's like, it feels important and it can feel good, but I think you want to balance it with giving yourself permission to do things that you don't know what is going to happen. Maybe you'll have a bad experience. Maybe you'll wander for an hour and a half and be like, we couldn't find a place to eat and like, I didn't know where I was. That's like also 
okay. You know what I mean? I don't know. It's just like everyone's trying to optimize all the time and I'm trying to like anti-optimize. <laughs> If you think about like the idea behind National Geographic, like the, the message one gets from National Geographic is like that wonder is a thing that you experience over there. Like, you know, you have to like climb a tall mountain or, uh, or go to a different continent. And part of what motivates us is this idea that actually wonder is ex an extremely accessible, uh, whether you want to call it an emotion, an aesthetic experience, it's all around us if you just know how to look for it. Here we are in New Jersey, which doesn't exactly have like the reputation for being, you know, the most out there place in the universe, but like it's filled with incredible things to go and, and find and discover. Like the Morris Museum in Morristown. The permanent exhibition, Musical Machines and Living Dolls, is worth a visit. Well, that's what we're here for. Yeah. The incredible collection is due to one passionate collector's lifetime of acquisition, which he donated. Over 700 antique mechanical figures and machines. It's one of the largest collections in the world on public display. This is, I'm, like, so psyched for this. Me too. All right, let's go do it. I love animatronic stuff. We're going to see some early animatronics. This is so cool. The museum was filled with player pianos, player violins, player hurdy-gurdies. Like, people don't have record players. People don't have radios. Yeah. If you couldn't play a piano yourself, yeah. like, you, there's no way to listen to music. It was stocked with wind-up animals from the 1800s, statues that would actually play the flute, and little toys that would perform acrobatics. Honestly, it either looked like a steampunk wet dream or the potential setting for a horror movie. And speaking of horror movies, this wouldn't be a day with Atlas Obscura without stopping by an abandoned town. Luckily, there was one on the way back to the city, the deserted village of Feltville, which brought to mind another very pertinent travel question that I wanted to get Josh's take on. You know, one of the things that I feel like we kind of grapple with at Thrillist, but it's like this idea of you kind of tell people about hidden gems. Do you ever have fear that you are going to turn them? To ruin them? Yes. When we started Atlas Obscura, that question consumed a lot of our brain space. And like, that was the thing that we worried about most. Having now been doing this for over a decade, um, I feel very, very confident in saying that was a misplaced Fear mm -hmm. that in the 10 years that we've been doing this, we've seen plenty of places just disappear, go out of business. And places disappear because they're underloved, not because they're overloved. And again and again and again, we hear from uh, places that are featured in the Atlas that like how grateful they are. There are places in the world that really are being overrun with tourists. And one of the functions that Atlas Obscura serves is to disperse people, right? Like, to say that the menu of places that are worth visiting is much larger. So the deserted village of Feltville, Berkeley Heights, New Jersey, is from Atlas Obscura. Originally settled in the early 1700s, the small village of Feltville has existed in a number of formations, including a mill town, a religious community, and a mountain resort. 
But with each makeover, the village keeps slipping back to its status as a deserted ghost town. Okay, so it's kind of interesting because it says that um, it was a mountain resort type of town, uh -huh. and then a lot of its thunder was stolen by the emerging Jersey Shore, which is where I'm from. Uh -huh. I didn't even know there were mountains out here. Do you see any mountains? No, I really don't. <laughs> Maybe the definition of mountains was a little bit... Um... Everybody was shorter back then. <laughs> yeah, flexible. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, wild. I had no idea. The deserted village of Feltville was set alongside a pretty normal-looking hiking path. The buildings were in various states of decay, with perilously sagging roofs, boarded-up windows, and green paint chipping on the sides. Again, this is something you would never expect to be hiding in a relatively normal suburban park. Yeah, this is cool. So this is where the electricity ends? Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> the last. Yeah, literally the end of the line. You could have probably staged a horror film almost everywhere we went to. Uh, maybe the white man, at least of which, but I don't you know, don't know. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Uh, that's creepy. That is creepy. Yeah, that's very creepy. These feel very abandoned. The idea of using an app to find an abandoned village, of using GPS to take a spontaneous road trip, it all seems a little counterintuitive. But for me, everything we've been talking about today, this travel ethos that sites like Thrillist and Atlas Obscura propagate, is only aided by technology. I personally feel a lot better about getting lost knowing that I have a phone that can help me get back. I mean, we sometimes called ourselves way back an internet company built to get people off the internet. Like, the, the you know, it's all tools and they have different upsides and downsides. By using, you know, the advantages of a smartphone, an app, GPS, yeah, it gives you the confidence to say, okay, I'm going to take that bus to that bus to go 45 minutes outside of town to see this cathedral this guy's been building. I actually think it's made everybody capable of a little more adventure, a little more risk-taking, because, um, you know, yeah, you can always figure out how to get home. And to do that and then have an amazing experience on the other side is like a true cathartic. It's truly cathartic to have that happen. It's real, like, it's one of the delights of travel and adventure. And on the topic of getting home, after Feltville, that's exactly where we were headed. All right, stuck in traffic, entering the Holland Tunnel. But, um, Josh, this was a great day. Thank you so much for showing me around my home state, some places I didn't even know about, and using the app and learning a little bit about... Atlas Obscura, which is one of my favorite sites. This was great. Thank you, man. Thanks for giving me a, a chance to uh, test drive the app. Yeah. And explore New Jersey. I want to ask you, what was your favorite part of the day? Okay, so there was the moment when they turned on the ultraviolet lights mm -hmm. at the Sterling Hill Mining Museum, and all of a sudden, all these like totally plain looking rocks yeah. suddenly became this electrified, uh, you know, palette of neon colors, basically. Right. And that was kind of like, I mean, forgive me if I'm stretching this, but like a little bit of a metaphor for Atlas Obscura, right? Okay. It's like the idea is like there's all this stuff all around us. And if you just flick the light switch in the right way, you can find wonder, you know, all around you. And... That was like a little moment where that happened today. And, um, you know, that's that's what we're trying to do. That was pretty good. Have you been thinking about that? No, I swear <laughs> to God that just came to me.
So big thanks to Joshua Foer and Dylan Thuris and the whole team at Atlas Obscura. Make sure to download the Atlas Obscura app on the Apple App Store. This show is produced by myself and Mia Fask, edited and mixed by the otherworldly Dean White and Abby Austria. Special thanks to all of my bosses, Jim D'Amico, Megan Kirsch, Brett Kushner, and Emily Feld. And thanks to you for listening. We'll be back next week. Bye.